about some other forces that work with our faith to make our faith work properly. And uh, we've already talked about love. I think that was last Sunday morning, if I remember right. Love, faith worketh by love. You've got to walk in love if you want your faith to work. You can't be mean and hateful and rebellious and adamant and smart aleck and retaliatory and revengeful and bitter. That won't work. Your faith won't work. You could have faith, but it won't work because those kinds of forces cut your faith off. They short-circuit your faith. You know, you could have all the electric put in the building correctly, but go back to the breaker and stick some kind of instrument in there that corrupts the flow. And, of course, you might have a fire, too. But in addition to everything else, you short-circuit everything. You've got break, you know, breakers to kick it out instead of, supposedly, instead of frying everything. But you see what I'm saying. You've got to get your faith straight, but there's other forces working with your faith. And love is one of them. Patience is one of them. I haven't talked about patience yet. But hope is a critical thing. And when we talk about hope, we're talking about what are you dreaming about? What are you dreaming about? I'm asking you a rhetorical question. What are you dreaming about? What are you thinking about your future? You, 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 do you have a plan? Do you have a thought out there? And if it's, Is it a God thought? Is it a good thought? Is it a clean thought? Is it a biblical thought? Is it based on the Word of God? Hope is critical. Because if you don't have hope, then you don't have anything for faith to work on to bring to pass. Not in the affirmative. You could have hope for the wrong things and, it, and your, you know, your fear brings that to pass. Which faith and fear are the same force just perverted. All right. Let's, uh, let's go to Ephesians real quick. I want to share something personal out of my life. I normally, you know, don't share a lot. Not because I'm trying to keep it secret. Especially when you hear what I'm going to tell you. But uh, at the same time, God's been on me recently about talking more about my life. Things I've experienced in life. Things I went through. And... Uh, Man, not all of them have been edifying, too. But uh, nonetheless, he told me to talk about this a little bit, so I'm endeavoring to follow him today. As we get started, I'm talking about hope. I'm talking about what dreaming about your future. What are you dreaming about? And so uh, let's read here in Ephesians 2 and 12 and 13. says, at that time, now he's talking to people before they came into Christ, that at that time you were without Christ, you were without the anointing, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope. Having no hope. And without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are far have been brought near or been brought into the family by the blood of Jesus. I was thinking as I was uh, you know, writing this message and thinking about talking to you, I was thinking about a time in my life when I was a drug head, I was in the military at the time. I shouldn't have been doing this. But I ended up in the mental hospital because of my drug addiction and because I had a seizure. I had a physical seizure. I took enough drugs that it caused my body to go into a seizure. Uh, you know, while I was in the military, I fell off a chair and I had a seizure. And I woke up the next day, I was handcuffed and I uh, had to go stand before somebody, and then they put me in the brig, and then shortly thereafter I ended up down at the mental hospital in Long Beach Naval Hospital in the mental ward, the locked ward. I was messed up. I, uh, 
I was desperate for drugs. And of course, they, they shot me full at that time. I think they still make this drug. I don't hear about it much anymore. Thorzine, which would knock your boots a hiney flat. I mean, baby, it could put you down. And they were giving me Thorzine shots then because I was so messed up. They'd just knock you out. Spent a couple nights in a rubber room. And I remember being in that ward and having no hope. <laughs> Thinking, my God, how, how, what am I going to do with my life? My brain is fried. I, I'm, I'm desirous for drugs and I'm in a drug rehab center out of control, out of control with my life. Uh, you know, I am messed up. I can't think straight. I can't function right. Sometimes I couldn't talk. Uh, you know, they had, we went to group therapy. We all sit around and told everybody how messed up we were while the psychologists and psychiatrists took notes. Then I had private sessions with the head of the department there. And after about six weeks, he brought me in one of my times to meet with him. And he said, you know, uh, you know I don't think you're getting any better. He said, I think I'm going to recommend they just send you back to Bethesda and you can get out with the medical. He said, you ain't gonna, you'll probably never be normal the rest of your life. And he listed the behavior. You know, we, we talk about it today. I don't remember the exact, but manic depressive, chronic and severe was my diagnosis. I don't give you any chance to make it out of this normal and said, I'm going to send you back there. And I started crying. I said, please don't do that. You're the only person that seems halfway normal to me. And I, I promise I'm going to try to get better. But see, I didn't have any hope. And I said to him, because he said, you go get a medical, you'll be taken care of the rest of your life, you know, because you're messed up in your mind, your emotions. See, some of you think you're messed up or you think you, you have no idea, unless I tell you some of this, where I've been. And I'm not trying to impress you. Let's don't go tit for tat. Maybe you murdered somebody. Don't come tell me. You laugh, but somebody did tell me something like that one time. Anyway... See, we're talking about people with no hope versus us today. See, you know, I, I dream a big dream now. See, my mind, and, and even after all that I'm going to tell you that I went through there, I got out and became a worse drug addict than I was when I went in there because I had no hope. The only thing I could see myself doing is just keep doing what I'm doing and be a drug head the rest of my life. And then after I got saved, it took several months, maybe a year or two. I don't know. Diana might know more than I do. But I mean, I'd already gotten saved just six months before I met her. But my brain, my mind, my, my ability to think, my ability to recall, my ability to, to, to put things together mentally was scrambled. And then later, of course, I was, you know, God was helping me. And she noticed that I'd begin, you know, because they'd asked me to help with those boys, seventh grade boys. I've told that story, you know, teaching four seventh grade boys in the stinky basement of First Baptist. And, uh, you know, on a metal chair and funky picture and smelled bad. The, sh the stuff they used on the floor, you know, polish, you know, stunk. Wasn't an environment to learn much. I mean, you know, when you, you're smelling that. Anyway, going back to my story here. And, and then later they asked me to take over the ninth and 10th grade boys and then the whole senior high. And then they asked me to take training union, which was the whole youth group from 7 to 12. That was almost 50 kids that she noticed after a while as I started talking to them and talking to other people and witnessing, because I was always one to open my mouth and talk to people. She wasn't so much back then. She did some, but, you know, I knew more of the Bible. But she noticed all of a sudden what I was saying seemed articulate and made sense, and I could quote Scripture. I'd get somebody in the conversation, I might quote 20 Scriptures. 
in 15 minutes and could tell you where they were at. I couldn't tell you what I had for dinner last night. I didn't remember what happened last weekend sometimes. Now, don't, I don't mean I was, uh, 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 you know, uh, delusionary, but it's just the ability to recall things would just seem sketchy at best. I was coming out of it, and the Word of God was healing my mind and giving me hope. And then we met this young person. This is what I was going to say. His name was John. He'd been in the military. His dad was an ambassador to Venezuela, or a military guy, I think, at Caracas, Venezuela, and he did drugs down there until he fried himself out too. And I said, well, what's, John, tell me something about yourself. You don't seem to, you know, help, let me help you. He said, well, you know, Brother Michael, you know, my brains feel like they're mashed potatoes. That's what he said one time to us. Well, I knew what he meant. He's a smart, boy, smart come from a smart family. But he'd just gotten so much dope in him consecutively. And, it, you know, of course, when we got to know him and his family, we saw the parents were not parents at all. They just produced a baby. And then as he got older as a teenager, they just let him do what he wanted and didn't hold him accountable and didn't put any restrictions on him and weren't parents at all. <laughs> you can have children and not be a parent at all, intelligently like I'm talking about. Boy, my mom qualified for parent plus. You know, maybe she didn't do everything right, but she, you know, got two brothers, two sons that are preachers and probably calls on Marty. And he's just off, you know, we're trying to help him somehow get him in, turned around from being a bartender to being a man of God. And my sister loves God with all of her life. She just committed and sold out, not in a church like this, but nonetheless very, very moral and has a high standard about her thinking. And I could probably talk to her more than any of the brothers, or my other two brothers, rather. I could talk to her more about spiritual things, typically. Because she listens and she's got some understanding even though she's not spirit-filled that we're aware of. Hallelujah. But you know, here I was in this mental hospital, back to that. Well, I was just going to say John telling his brains like mashed potatoes. Of course, he stayed under our ministry for a year and a half there. Then we moved away, but he began to recover. He began to get it together. Even IQ tests were improving and things like that because he was a scrambled young man. I mean, he was... He was almost retarded, if I could say it that way, and not be offensive to you. But he was like dealing with a 10-year-old almost at times. But he loved us, and he stayed close to us, and we tried to help him, and God began to move in his life too. Of course, I didn't know everything I know today, you understand. But back to the mental hospital. Here I am after six weeks now. I'm not improving. I'm not improving, and then, you know, I, all I see ahead of me is mental illness. All I see ahead of me is therapy. In fact, when I first got out, you know, my doctor back there, he wrote a letter and uh, I took it to my doctor back at home where I lived and he put, gave me prescription of medications to take, you know, mental stuff. Now, I'm not preaching the whole message on that. I'm talking about not having hope. I'm talking about people that don't have no hope. We got to get our hope strengthened and get our hope way out there based on the Word of God. Now, here's the other reverse of that. Some people got hope, but it's just a pipe dream. They never do anything to make anything come to pass. See, see, I, when, I felt, when I met Jesus and He came into my life so dramatically, I just knew Him. I knew what He was like because He came into my heart. And I, I said, well, you know, I know you're real and you're going to help me. And you know, you might think it sounds funny now. I hope you don't laugh, but it took me. I was going to a cement plant to put in an application during that time. 
when I was first coming out of drugs, it took me uh, about two hours, an hour and a half to two hours, sitting in a little office trying to fill out a two-page questionnaire that should have took 15 minutes maxing me out. But because I couldn't think right, I stayed there because I wanted to fill it out and get it finished, and I just kept staying there and until I could figure out to put enough on there that I felt it was filled out good enough, and they hired me as a laborer. You didn't have to have much to be a laborer there. They'd hand you a hard hat, a wheelbarrow, and a shovel and said, go do that. And they would actually take you to the place, your foreman, and say, take care of that all day. I'll be back at eight hours, be back at the shack, turn your helmet in and your shovel. There was nothing glorious about it. But see, this, this is what my life, I'm trying to show you that sometimes people think, well, how am I going to get beyond where I'm at? You're going to have to have hope. Yes. <laughs> hope is important. But see, before we knew the Lord, according to this, it says, having no hope and without God in the world. Was God in the world? He certainly was. People were getting saved and spirit-filled daily when I was in the mental hospital. Somehow I remember taking a shower in there when I first got in there. Because I had some other issues, you know, and different. I don't go down that trail with you. But I was in there taking a shower, and I remember crying. I said, Father, I just said, God, I didn't say, Father, I said, God, I thank you for getting me here. Now, you know, I don't know how I knew to say thank you to him for that. I guess it came out of my conscience from being a kid going to church. And I called my mom. They didn't let me call anybody at first, but eventually they let me make a call. Of course, they stood there by me while I made it because I had to come out of the locked ward to a phone. At that time, a phone, not a booth, but a phone on a wall. And the guard stood with me. And my mom said, I've been praying for you, Michael. You're going to be all right. Well, that's crying again. See, I've been through some things. I, I don't know if you realize that, you know, I've been a boy, a young man that had no hope. Felt like my life was devastated. That, that's just part of it. I mean, I could tell about things I got into when I got back home is even more horrific. But I'm just dealing with being in a mental hospital at the time. And not for any particular reason except God said, talk about this a little bit because remember when you had no hope? Makes me want to cry right now. You just can't figure out how you get any, you don't seem to have ability to get any solidness to you in your thinking. Like where am I going to land this thing? How am I going to, where does this thing set down and be secure for me? What am I going to do with my life? Am I going to be like this the rest of my life? My brain's going to be fried and going to be somebody living in a home where I can't function. It was, it, it was scary. It was hellish. It was a torment. And again, see, I got this something on the inside of me, the devil driving me into doing, you know, to, to, to wanting more dope. See, I don't know if you realize what I'm saying. And I'm going to talk about hope in a minute, but I'm talking about not having hope. I remember one of the guys, he could get out. I couldn't get out. I was in the locked ward and they wouldn't let me out for quite a while. Eventually I did get out. I mean, eventually I did get to go somewhere with a friend of mine. In fact, actually, two guys came to see me eventually and told me I had a car. I said, I got a car? They said, yeah, and you wrecked it. And I said, I did. Did anybody get hurt? And they said, no, but you were so messed up on dope, you were going down the freeway, and the hood flew off in the freeway, and you kept driving. And the guy with you finally said, you need to turn back and get to your hood. I didn't even know I had a car. See, I was messed up. I, I'm just trying to show you how crazy... You can get when you, and you don't have hope. And you don't have to be a drug addict. You can just be a person who's been beat down by life. Beat down by your mate. 
beat down by somebody else, beat down by your parents. You ain't going to amount to nothing kind of attitude. You got to have hope. And God, he sent me today to preach this message about hope to you, <laughs> to get a hold of hope. But here's what I was going to say. You know, when I couldn't get off the ward, I had a friend in there and I said, you get off, go down to, go down to the gift shop and get me, a pay, get me an airplane and some glue. See, I'm thinking. So then I'm in the men's room. I'm in there, you know, with a bag over my head in my face, you know, smelling glue. And I got caught. Oh, my God. I don't think you realize what I'm saying. Then I get caught. I'm in a mental institute already. And now I'm violating all their rules. Boy, they're hot, too. They are they are flat mad about it. What is wrong with you, Michael? You know, and then, of course, they're screaming and hollering. And I said, please don't turn me in. Please don't. You know, to the guy that was on duty that caught me. I was messed up. <laughs> I was a messed up person. Oh, Father God, thank you for saving me. I had no hope. Now, see, this isn't so far maybe not real edifying, but somehow or another, God wanted me to tell you about people, that there's people out there, they're not all locked up either, and they don't have any hope. But you should have as much hope as I can get in you today. I'm going to show you how to get some hope so for your future. Because whatever you're thinking internally about what you think you want to do, are you just dreaming? Are you getting something from God from the Bible that's showing you where your future's going and believing for that? That's right. See, I'm a focused man today. I know some of you maybe are not too focused. But you need to get focused where you're going. <laughs> it took me some I mean, I didn't get on the, you know, get on the truck the first day. You know what I mean? I'm kind of wandering around. I just told you. I met her at a dope party. So, you know, I had, some, I had some stuff to get off of me and I had some stuff to revamp and I had some renewing of my mind. And you, you, you can make fun of me all you want and other people have. Well, you're just radical. You just love the Bible. You eat and sleep. Yeah, I do. Because I was going to hell and my brain was blown and my body was falling apart and I felt like I was going to be a mental cripple the rest of my life. Or die early. And then, you know, that, that part of it came later when I got back home and started carrying a gun, being a drug addict, being a drug dealer, and all the stuff that went with that part of my life. And maybe tell that some other time. But I'm talking about how I felt in that mental hospital. <laughs> I had no hope. I never had any hope I was going to achieve anything. In fact, when I filled out my questionnaire for the, for the uh, uh, cement company, Brother Frank, I thought I'd live and die and work at the cement company. And I'm not putting down working in a cement company. I'm not putting down being a laborer if that's what you like doing and you got the muscle to do it and that's all you care about and that's where God pushed you and you don't have any ambition to go beyond that. Be a good best laborer you've ever been. But something in me said you were made for something beyond that. Used to work with an old guy named Harlan, Harlan Williams from Harlan, Kentucky, and he always made mule sounds. <laughs> hey, Michael. He was a sweet guy. I loved him. I mean, we liked him. He invited us to his home, show us his jacks. You know what? We're not talking the ball and the, that stuff. We're talking these mules, half mule, half horse. You know, mules and 
jacks and all that. And he wanted to show them off to us. So we went out to his farm one time. He was a hard worker. He was about 60 years old then. I was just 20-something. But that's all he wanted out of life. He's ready to retire. He's living on a little farmland out by the cement thing that they rent him for, you know, practically nothing. And he's thrilled. He's got him a garden. He's got a wife. He's got his jacks. <laughs> he was a good guy. And good. He was a help to me. I was on his shift and I was a laborer and he helped me some. And he was, he was a good friend during that time in my life. Not super educated but, and not super complicated. Remember? <laughs> He'd go through the cement plant making those noises. We worked swing shift. We'd be there in the middle of the night and I'd hear this guy. Hey, Michael. Need some help? And he'd get right in there with me. That's the kind of good friend to have. And I liked him. We got along good and I witnessed to him. I don't know that he ever made a commitment to me, but told him all about how Jesus was fixing me up. All right. Just felt like you need to hear some of this today. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. We're still talking about hope. Hope. What are you dreaming about? Well, don't tell me, but just in your own thing. What are you dreaming about for your future? Is it a good dream? Is it, a, is it is something you're, with, you're looking at with expectation or looking at with dread? See, what are, you, what are you dreaming about? We're talking about hope. Give hope its place. It has a place. Hebrews 11, verse 1. You know this verse probably, but let's look at it again. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So we know when we're talking about hope, we're talking about things that are in the unseen realm as, as yet. It's not manifested yet, it's in that unseen realm. And I like to change hope up a little bit. And I know there's some discrepancy. We might talk a lot about that, but I'm not going to. But I think we could use the word desire. Faith is the substance of things you desire. What do you desire? What do you see out there that you desire that you'd like to see come to pass? Amen? Amen. Do you have a hope? Do you have a dream? Or do you think something and say, well, I could never... Or do you just dream something but then never put any feet to it to make it come to pass, put faith with it? See, we've got to put the faith with the hope to make things come to pass and get into this scene realm. I'm talking about things that work with your faith. I was down in South America. It's probably been 10 years ago now. I was staying at a Holiday Inn, and it was hot. It was a hot, it was hot time of the year, and it was hot there in Columbia, and it's a big city, and it's hot and sweaty, and dirty and, you know, different things. And I, and I got in my hotel room and there was a thermostat and I was going to go to the service in a little bit and I was going to lay down first and rest a minute. And I turned the thermostat down. I don't know. I went in the other room, did something, maybe laid my stuff out on the counter, came back and there wasn't nothing blowing. Well, I turned it down again. You know, one of these round things on the wall. Turned down the thermostat again. Thing, and I turned it all the way down to 60, Brother Jim, and never kicked on. Nothing ever kicked on. No, no air moving. I finally opened the window, tried to get a little breeze in there because it was hot. Well, I got downstairs then when Pastor John picked me up and, and I said, you know, can you think when we come back, because they talk Spanish, you know, there, and uh, I can speak a little, but I said, could you talk to them when we, you bring me back about the AC up in my room? I think it's busted. And he broke forth laughing. You know, it first kind of made me irritated. What are you laughing about? I'm hot. 
He started laughing. He started laughing he, when he finally composed himself. Pastor Michael, those are prefabs sent from America with the Holiday Inn Company, and the thermostats are just nailed up on the wall. There's nothing behind there. We don't have air conditioning. Now, somebody might there that's rich and yeah, yeah, but but they there's the, the wires are on the back of the wall, but they're not connected to nothing. So I'm just see I'm I've got a hope, but I've got no substance back here to make it work. And so he sent a guy to buy a couple fans. Whoever was on my trip with me, we all got a fan that night to put in the room to let circulate a little bit of air. <laughs> he was sweet about it. But he just, see, you need hope, but you need faith. You need faith, but you need hope. See, again, look at this verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things you hope for. Faith gives birth to the things that you're desiring. Hallelujah. You should never hope for something you don't want. You're liable to get it. You know, in the Bible it says they wanted this and wanted that, and, and God finally just said, okay, go ahead. I, you're, I'm not going to hold you back. you got a will. And they, then it messed them up. Now, he didn't mess them up, but their desire messed them up. How about that group that partied hardy? When, the, when Moses went up on the mountain, you know, they came down, they got several, a bunch of them, thousands of them had their clothes off. They were having a wild party. And then Aaron act like, I don't know what happened. We just, somebody threw their earrings in the fire and it came out a calf. That reminds me of the people on the cops movie. You know, when they interview, you got any dope on you? No, sir. Then they find four pounds of this, six pounds of that, two pipes and a needle. And I don't know where that came from. And he can't even think straight. Bless their heart. See, see, there's a guy with no hope again. I feel for him, but you got to make a decision. I'm going to get out of that. And they all got a reason for it. Well, my girlfriend, she broke up with me or she ran off with my this or that or my this or that or I don't know, I lost my job. You know, there's always a reason to get drunk and high if you want one. Just make up one. The sun went down. <laughs> I used to get, get high and say, well, the sun's coming up. Let's get high. Sun's going down. It's hot. Let's get high. It's cold. Let's get high. I didn't care. I just made up anything I wanted. That's the way I lived. You don't have to have a reason to get whatever if you want to be wasted and live a wasted life. But you don't have to live like that without hope. You got hope, man. You can get your faith working on something. If you're hoping you have a desire out there, your faith will take a hold and bring that thing to you. Hallelujah. I proved it over and over. This is what it means. Hope means, according to Webster's, to reach forward, to reach forward with a view to obtain or possess. Reaching forward with a, with a view to obtain and possess something. Man, let's be motivated to move forward where we can obtain something. Anybody listening? There's all kinds of things you could use your hope for. But have the right desires based on the Word and reach forward with a view to obtain or, or, or possess. It also means this. Uh, we could say, let me find my definition here, here. A confident expectation. That's another good definition of it. A confident expectation. You know, I remember, I can remember, I need to tell you again about my shoes. Not the ones I got on, but a pair that I found one time after praying about it. And my wife said to me, you got old men's shoes on. And you need to get some not so old men's shoes. So I'm thinking, well, I, okay, but I don't like some of the young guy's shoes. 
you know, their, their, their soles are that thick. And things like that. Whatever, just whatever floats your boat. You don't all look alike to me. Just get over it. I like what I like and you can like what you like. We don't have to fall out about it. But anyway, so I said, well, Father, I need some not looking old men's shoes that look cool, that I like. And I got off a plane one time off a mission trip, went through the airport and there in a glass case was a guy's suit and tie and shirt. And you, boy, you can tell he's upscale and a pair of shoes and they were brown. They weren't the ones I got on, but they were about as nice as these. And whoa, I said, well, I couldn't go to that guy's store right then. And I kind of vaguely remembered his name because he had the card in the window there sitting there. You know, Taggy or something like that. It's an unusual name. It's like, I don't know, Pakistani or Indian or some kind of foreign name. Taggy. Like J.D. Taggy or something, you know. And so anyway, I was back in Houston within a year at the Pastor Osteen's. The last time I ever saw him alive, I went to his pastor's conference. And what a great meeting that was. But anyway, I was staying there with a couple guys from the church in a hotel downtown. And I said, you know, what was the name of that guy's thing we saw at the airport that time to one of my associates? I think it was Mike Moe. And he, he wasn't sure either. And I said, he said, what was the name of that guy? And I said, Tag, Tagger, Tangy, Taggy, that's it, Taggy. Well, he looked up the phone book and found the guy's name and called him. He's only six blocks from us. Went down there. Of course, they offered us wine when we got in. I said, no, thank you. I came look at your shoes, though. Can you direct me there? <laughs> You know, kind of upscale places, they think different. Yeah. You know, we went in a place one time to where Mimi used to keep her, her furs. And they said, would you like some, you know, they had some pate and they had some champagne. champagne. And I said, no, I'm pretty buzzed right now. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, praise God. So we, when I, bought, I bought the brown ones and I bought a pair of black ones too that day. See, now what am I saying? See, I had that image that there's got to be shoes out there because I can think it. They don't look like old men's shoes, but they're well built and they got a good arch and, and, and they'll look, you know, nice, but they'll look more like Diana would like and I would like. See? And there they were. Well, since then, I found a lot of other places have good shoes too, but you got to be willing to pay for them. That brings me back to hope. <laughs> These are not $29.99 shoes, you know what I mean? They're not even $79.99. They're not even $159, you know? Anyway, I don't tell you I want to choke anybody. But anyway, yeah. Oh, and he had some shoes there, three and 4000 for one pair. So, I mean, what I bought was a lot less than that, but still stretched me at that time. They're back to hope. <laughs> yeah, Hallelujah. Now, we're not talking about just things. We're talking about using our faith on whatever it is. How about leading somebody to Jesus? How about opening up and being courageous to witness for Him? How about believing I'm going to bring somebody to church that's not saved in the next 12 months and, and help them and disciple them and, and love them and believe in them and talk to them and, 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 and reach out really to them and really stay with them until they get established? How about that? How about faith for that? Well, I, I couldn't do that, Pastor. Why not? I bet you could do whatever you're excited talking about to somebody. You know, if you had the latest boat, you know, you'd want to tell everybody about your boat. You had the latest shotgun. You want to tell everybody about your shotgun. You have the latest uh, deer stand. Oh, 
down in Randy's territory now, praise God. We got the new t deer stand, you know. I saw a commercial guy standing in the trees up on this. And I thought, why in the world would I want to do that? <laughs> I'm just teasing some of you hunters. I'm, that's just not me. I like to hunt at Nordstrom's. <laughs> in the tie selection in the shoe. <laughs> Dr. Dufresne called me one time. He said, we're down here at this place in Texas out in the wilderness, and we're, we're hunting the exotic deer and, uh, on a guy's farm that raised them, you know. And I said, yeah. And he said, well, you'll come on down. There's a Nordstrom sign with an arrow. Said there's a Nordstrom's two miles down. And, of course, he was teasing me. There was a little guy in a cabin selling, you know, bear traps and whatever probably. Deer stands or whatever. I don't know what they were selling. You know, he was just teasing me, though. I know where you like to hunt, Nordstrom's. I said, that's right. <laughs> Hallelujah. Pastor, Pastor Roma, uh, Roma uh, which one? Ramos down in San Diego. He said he got an impartation from me to shop at Nordstrom. <laughs> 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 that's what he said. Pastor Jacobs got me an impartation. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's right. Now, faith is the, what? The substance of things you hope for. See, we're talking about hope. Let's go over here now to Romans 15 a minute. Look at verse 4. Give me a few more minutes. Since I got started late, just a few. I don't think the beans will burn. Hopefully you don't do that. Going to a church like that, you're not real smart. <laughs> You'd be better just go through somewhere and get you something on the way home. But I know some people like to cook at home still and all that kind of stuff. And we'll address that later. <laughs> Donna, she likes to cook, I think. Don't you? Oh, she, not whether she likes it, but she does. Okay. Romans 15, verse 4. For whatsoever things were written. Now note, make a note of that. Whatever things were written... And then he goes on to say before time. In other words, back before we got into uh, what he's... What, in other words, the, the Bible back here. Whatever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. Now notice we can learn something. And then he goes on to say that we through patience... See, there's the word patience coming up again. And comfort of the Scriptures. Notice comfort of the Scriptures. See, that's where your comfort comes from, your Scriptures. Remember, that's when I told you I, I, I had no hope. And then, then one day, this little, you know, drug addict kid, I was in a youth group meeting and, uh, with, with a young lady that invited me to go. There was a senior. I was 21, had a ponytail, had blue jeans on, had boots up to my knees. I kind of looked like I don't know what. But anyway, there I was, sitting out there, trying to listen to this guy preach. And I don't know whether the guy preached it or God just supernaturally gave me this. I don't know to this day. But Matthew 11, just stay with me here. And, you know, all of a sudden that came to me that all ye that labor and are heavy laden come unto me and I'll give you rest. And I got, went forward and gave my life to Jesus Christ that, that night at this youth meeting. And then I, she gave me a Bible, this girl, and, and gave me the Bible and said, I'm breaking up with you. <laughs> Well, I don't know whether to be flattered or insulted or what. She gave me a Bible and said, leave. And so I left her home that night with my little brown Bible and a divine appointment. So, yeah, her brother-in-law was the preacher to me. But here's my point. I started reading that Bible. 
I started getting comfort from the scriptures. I started getting in the Bible. When I met her six months later, I had a lot of markings in it. You, you know, if you had one little mark in it, maybe somebody couldn't find it. But the night we met at, a, at this party we went to, you know, you can tell I wasn't real sanctified yet because we met at a drug party and we brought the dope. Now, I'm not, not, we're coming out of it, see. But anyway, you know, and of course we're, you know, I'm 20, whatever I told you, 21. I'm almost 22 by now. And we're driving home in my little Volkswagen. And she opened the glove box and pulled my Bible out and said, what's this? I said, that's my Bible. Well, she opened the pages and it was marked up. She said, you mark in it? I said, yeah, I read it. She said, you read it? I said, yeah. She said, huh. I mean, it's foreign. Foreign to her thinking, probably foreign to a lot of people, especially the way I looked. She didn't know anybody read and not anybody marked anything in it. You know, red lines and different things. To this day, my Bible still look like that. That's just the way God broke me in. You know, I got, all, I got pink and orange and <laughs> yellow and red and ink, regular ink. I, I just mark them up. That's just my M.O. And, uh, and uh, I started getting comfort from the Scriptures. That's what I'm trying to say to you. See, that's, that was the changing thing. It, of course, going to church, but I was reading my, I was actually taking the time at home to read my Bible. <laughs> I, go, I didn't know what I know today, or I could have been further along quicker, but I just started reading. I started reading my Bible, and then I had a hunger for it. Then I had a deeper hunger for it. And then I went to my pastor and I said, you know, I, I really like to take some courses. He said, well, they're teaching New Testament theology over it to church where I got saved in Dayton. In fact, that, that, that pastor, he wasn't preaching when I got saved because it was a youth meeting, but he's a PhD in this and he's offering this course. And why don't you go take it and see if you like it? Well, you understand now my brain, now remember my mind's getting straightened out. Yes, <laughs> I'm sitting there with other pastors with 20 years experience and this guy with probably 40. And he's teaching New Testament theology. It's not a lightweight course, not VBS, you know. How to cut a piece out of a thing and glue it onto something. No, it's New Testament theology. And I got an A in it, by the way. But God was working on my mind. God was working. See, I was falling in love with the Scriptures. The Scriptures were bringing comfort to me. And this last part of verse 5 or verse 4 says that comfort of the Scriptures, you might have what? Hope. hope. I started having hope. See, now I went from the guy that in the mental hospital to the guy at the cement plant, still struggling somewhat, to now I'm starting to go to meetings where they're teaching, I'm teaching seminary level courses in different locations. You know, they did that. It's like correspondence thing. And reading the material and getting a good grade. Of course, some things I asked him back then, he couldn't answer for. Where'd the devil come from? And what about this passage? And what does this mean? He could, you know, I don't know. Stuff I teach you, taught you for years. If you're either here or in our Bible school, I taught some of this. But anyway, you know, he didn't know what to tell me, so I just discounted it that he was ignorant in that area because there had to be an answer. <laughs> I was that smart. And God was working in my thinking and working in my spirit and working in me. And all of a sudden I began, and then he started dealing with me. I'm calling you to preach. And then, of course, my mind and my thinking went, oh, my God, I can't even talk, Father. What do you mean preach? I I barely got through high school. I was too busy with girls and fighting and drinking and acting like a fool. I mean, that's where I'm looking back on it now, see, thinking, gosh, you know, I don't have any education. He said, I'm calling you to preach. You're not going to be happy until you respond to me correctly. Well, I put him off for a year and a half because I kept praying until God 
supernaturally woke me up one night and said, I'm calling you to preach. And I woke her up and said, well, we're going into ministry. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And you know, I got another hour's worth of sermon and you don't got an hour to sit. So I'm just going to have to tie a knot in this. I just barely got this thing introduced. Of course, that's me. You know, that's you understand me. Praise the Lord. Let me give you one last scripture and we'll close. And I'd like to minister to some of you today. Colossians 1. Just turn over there real quick. It's 1 o'clock. I can read the, the timepiece on the back. Colossians 1. Let me give you this verse. So 20, Colossians 1, 21 through 23. Let me show you something here that will help you if you'll just meditate on this and get this down in your spirit. Colossians 1, 21 through 23, And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your minds. That was me before I got saved. By wicked works, yet now, and I had some of those too, yet now hath he reconciled, hallelujah, in the body of his flesh through death, in other words, in the body of Jesus' flesh through death, to present you or me, us, holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If you continue in the faith... See, there's another scripture about faith. Now watch what it goes on to say. Verse 23. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard. I want to say this kindly, but I want to say it emphatically. You don't let anything or anybody move you away from the hope of the gospel. I don't care if it's your wife, your husband, your kids, or your parents. You don't let anything stand in the way of moving you away from the hope. See, this is where people fail. This is why I'm bringing this out. I, I've determined way back then, way back yonder, when I didn't know what I knew now, I didn't have the faith I had back then that I have now. I mean, it's a lot more developed. You understand what I'm saying. But I determined I'm not going to let anything move me away from my hope that I'm getting out of this book. You know, I can't tell you how many people, good-meaning people, you know, educated people, intellect pretty strong and come to the church and, you know, had some intelligence to them for sure. And they would say, well, you just wait now until... There's always you just wait. Trying to talk me out of my hope. Trying to talk... You can't do this. Well, what makes you think you could do that? Well, you just wait till your kids get a little bigger. You just wait. You just, yeah, yeah, yeah. you just wait. And you know, most of those people aren't around anymore. I got a new group now. What I mean is that, you know, if you're not careful, people talk you out of believing what the gospel's pumping you up to get. <laughs> you can be successful in every area of your life. You may not get it all together by tomorrow. None of us did. But if you really want success, it's available. But if you let people talk to you because they don't have it, they'll tell you you can't have it. See, your hope is your desire. It's your dream. It's your goal. It's, it's something you're moving. And you're not just dreaming up something. You're getting this comfort we just found. The Scriptures put into you hope, godly hope. See, God's hope originates from God. Are you listening to me? See, God's hope originates from Him. 
Hallelujah. And you get him involved in whatever you're doing and you can succeed in it. I can't tell you how many infomercials I've listened to. And I, you know, I listen to somebody tell me something, how I'm going to lose weight and how it's going to be easy. And, how, and, and somebody else, oh, you need this piece of machinery. And, you need, and, and there might be a measure of truth in a little bit of everything. But the main thing I found out from God, God said to me, he's kind of put out with me in May. He said, don't even talk to me about this again until you're serious. And I said, all right. You know, kind of like, do you have a bad day? He said, don't even bring it up to me. I don't want you to bring it up, Michael. Don't even talk to me about this weight thing anymore until you're serious. I'm, I'm telling you, don't even bring it up. He was ticked off. I said, how about, can I talk to you about that? Sure. So I got back in the Word and I said, hmm, now I'm going to get this thing straightened out. And then I just let the Word work in me and all of a sudden, boom, I got it. All my tumblers fell, baby. You know what I mean by that? All the tumblers lined up. And I went back and said, okay, I'm ready. He said, yep, you are. I said, all right, we're going to do this, aren't we? Yep. And I said to her, I said, now you watch. I got this by the Spirit now. And, and, and it, things will be changing for me. <laughs> and it's changing. I mean, it don't come off as fast as it goes on. I could take one weekend and just put it all back on, you know what I mean? <laughs> Hit all, everything you like. All. But see, I'm learning, well, you know, maybe I like that, but they don't like me. Maybe that's a bad thing to like. So I got to change it up. 